Hi, I'm Glenn Dakin, writer of the Scooby-Doo Essential Guide, and you're listening to a podcast named Scooby-Doo. Yeah. The gang's all here, they're on the case, and there's no ghost that they wouldn't face, cause they dig it, dig it, dig it, Scooby-Doo. Yeah, they dig it, dig it, dig it. Hey gang, and welcome to the first official episode of a podcast named Scooby-Doo for 2018. I hope everybody had a great holiday season and a happy new year, and that everything is kind of settled down and getting back to normal, just like they're settling down and getting back to normal here on the podcast. We're getting back to our interview format after the craziness, absolute craziness, that was the holiday special that I put together in December. Super fun, just I want to give another shout out to everybody, everybody that was involved with that holiday special. Um, You guys were fantastic. Everybody just sort of coming together, warmed the cockles of my heart. Huge amount of work, but I think it turned out really well. I've gotten some good feedback on it, so that's fabulous. But, like I said, getting back to basics, getting back to what the show is all about, which is digging into Scooby-Doo history and talking to the folks who've worked on this property on this franchise and this month in our feature interview i have supervising director for scooby-doo mystery incorporated victor cook which is really great because i haven't talked to anybody from mystery incorporated yet it was kind of the show that sort of brought me back in to scooby-doo i'd sort of all the direct-to-video movies what's new scooby-doo sort of brought me back in at that point but then I sort of drifted out again and then Mystery Incorporated sort of sucked me back in Be Cool's kind of kept me there we'll see what happens with the next iteration but yeah it was it was great talking to Victor and we actually he's got a new show Stretch Armstrong and the Flex Fighters which dropped on uh, Netflix I believe in November so we talked a little bit about that as well, and it's also the 10th anniversary of Spectacular Spider-Man, which he was the supervising director and I believe executive producer on. So we also touched on that just kind of briefly, because I love to not just talk about Scooby-Doo, but also talk about what these folks have done you know, before and after, and what they're doing right now, getting their stuff out there, so... I'm kind of rambling. I feel like it's been a while since I've done this. I feel like I'm kind of getting back on the horse after being away for a long time. I think I think there's a part of me, there's a podcasting section of my brain that kind of shut down after Christmas. So you'll forgive me if I'm a little all over the place. But rather than listen to me being all over the place, I'm going to start up this interview. Uh, we're doing another two parts. Uh, Vic and I, we talked for just over an hour, I think. Or at least there's just over an hour of actual interview content that's worth listening to. And as per usual, uh, I'm going to split it into two parts. The first part is all Scooby-Doo. The second part is a blend of Scooby-Doo, Stretch Armstrong, and Spectacular Spider-Man. And I'm hoping to get that up sooner than later. The goal is to have that up in about a week or two. I don't want there to be a huge gap uh, between the two parts. And some more great news, Uh, Vic and I are currently just trying to hash out some logistics. 
we're hoping to get some commentaries. We're hoping to do a commentary or two for Mystery Incorporated. Uh, Vic's picked a couple of episodes that he really enjoyed working on. If we can get everything to work out timing-wise, we're going to get that done, and you guys are going to have some more commentaries for a show that's not Be Cool Scooby-Doo. So, branching out! We're branching out. We're getting bigger and better and wider, and there you go. So, without further ado, I'm going to let you guys get to the interview. So kick back, turn up the volume, pop in the earbuds, however you're listening to the show. We'll see you on the other side. Wait a minute. I think I found a clue. Looks like someone was in a hurry to burn something in the fireplace. It's an old newspaper clipping. And listen to this. So we're here with Victor Cook, who is a director on Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. Hello, Victor. Welcome to the Hi, show. Hi, glad to be here. So is this a, this is for your uh, podcast that we're doing this? This, that is Very correct, cool. yes. Okay. Uh, it's called a podcast named Scooby-Doo. Okay. The mission statement is basically, there's almost no history done on the this 50-year-old franchise. I know. There's there's some I, there's some stuff done for like the original series, but beyond that, not really. I know. It's like, it's, it, it kind of gets overlooked, you know, like the superhero shows kind of get the spotlight a lot. You know, what's interesting about at, when I was at Warner Brothers is like the DVDs are about sort of keeping that classic scooby design style alive right and the tv shows are about trying something slightly different each time yeah Uh, so that's why you'll see a a little bit different maybe background style or painting style or radically different character design style depending on what version of the tv show but the dvds for the most part look still look design wise like the ey takamoto designs from way back you know yeah they try and maintain those original models and style i'd say what's different is the way they're storyboarded. They're they're storyboarded more quote unquote movie like now, whereas back then it was very like left to right, the same background panning by, you know. Right. Uh, I actually uh, I've had some communication with people working or who worked on Be Cool Scooby Doo, and and they were saying kind of the same thing that the the DTVs were like that was the on brand Scooby, and uh, the TV shows is where the Warner Brothers was more willing to experiment. Right. So yeah. <laughs> Now, uh, the first question I generally ask anybody who is a guest on the show is, what is kind of your personal background with Scooby? How did you come to the character? What was sort of your uh, initial series? Well, the initial series I saw as a kid when it came out was the original. Um, And that was my first introduction to Scooby. And uh, I, I liked the show. I mean, I noticed even then some of the sort of economic animation tricks they would do like the same background panning and left to right animation i always liked the show and uh, but you know i i was more back then to be honest a johnny quest herculoids kind of a kid frankenstein jr i hear that so yeah. often <laughs> frankenstein jr adamant you know so you know years and years later you know when i found myself on scooby-doo mystery incorporated i it, it, it actually was a really good fit because you know when they're putting the show together when I heard about the show, I kind of thought, oh, it's going to be like the Scooby-Doo I remember. And, you know, and, and, and if you've seen the show, in a lot of ways it is. But when I saw the crew being put together, I go, wow, this is kind of eclectic. They have this art director who's just come off of doing these fantastic shows like Samurai Jack and all these great shows at Cartoon Network. His name is Dan Crawl. And then this other director uh, who is, like, well-known for uh, Batman Beyond and 
Justice League and those kind of things. And uh, his name is Kurt Gaeta. I'm like, wow, these such divergent people on this show. And the writers involved, uh, Mitch Watson, and the other sort of developer of the show and producer, Tony Cervoni, who came from Space Jam, very Looney Tunes Space Jam background. background. I'm like, wow. And then I just came off the spectacular Spider-Man. And, and, you know, at first I'm like, how do, what do we all, how does this all come together? But, you know, Tony, who developed the show, had in mind that uh, filmically or cinematically, we were going to kind of do this like as if it were a movie, as opposed to doing sort of the jokes of the background panning forever and things like that. And so it all made sense to me, this crew, and it was a lot of fun you know, to get going on it. It was actually one of the most interesting things about that show when it did come out. It's interesting to hear you say that it was kind of uh, approached as a movie. The references weren't, you weren't like parodying the original series or anything because it did have like just such a different color palette and the background art was just beautiful and it had a, what's, I don't want to say maturity, but. I would say it had a lot of, it had like depth and layer to it from a story and character perspective it was like you know when i met with tony and mitch you know one of the things tony would say to me you know remember the three f's i mean that that this is a scooby thing remember the three f's it's like fear food and flashlight (laughs) so that's so so that's brilliant and and that's to where we're honoring sort of that original scooby right but but the but the layered part is sort of like uh backstory characterizations for the characters so they weren't just sort of like one note anymore and the fact that, yes, each episode was self-contained as far as who that monster was or who that villain was for that episode. But there were bits of the episodes that can keep continuing to an overall story arc. So you never really saw that in a Scooby. And, uh, and yeah, what I kind of meant also by movie-like was just the way it was storyboarded and staged. You know, we, right. we weren't sort of constrained by that idea back when they were doing the original show, trying to do it as, as economical as possible because it was all done in-house. So we were able to storyboard where it wasn't as flat and the, we didn't have to use the same background going by as characters ran. You know, we could have depth to the staging. And the fact that these guys wanted Kurt Gaeta and I to direct, you know, with with the sensibilities of the shows we came off of where, you know, action shows do have more depth to the composition and staging. And they really wanted that, you know, in the show. I think the word that I was hunting for was sophistication. Like there was a sophistication to the look and to the storytelling, which again, there was a, there was a respect for the original source material, but you guys brought something new to it that was, Really great. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 like I said, I have to go back and say the the brainchild of that was Tony and and Mitch uh, and the team they put together. You know, the color palette that that you've mentioned that's really Diane Crawl, who was our art director in the first season. He he came up with the look of the backgrounds and then in a modern movie way, like when you watch movies, Lord of the Rings or any of these movies, like sequences will have like sort of a it's color signature, right? Whether it's gold right. or green or red, and, and uh, that's uh, how uh, this show was art directed also by sequences. And I want to mention the character design too. You know, Derek Wyatt was the, our lead character designer, and he, uh, you know, if you just first glance at the main cast, it it looks like the characters from the old designs. When you just like look at it, you mean you see it, right? But then you look at it again, and you can see, well, no, it slightly has these angles here and there, and it's slightly stylized to really fit in with this kind of background aesthetic. And in a lot of ways, his designs are easier, I think, for uh, 
the overseas animators to animate kind of on this TV schedule and budget and keep it on model because it's not all rounded. You know, there's some angles to it. Right. It's like a familiar silhouette, but the details are... Yeah, just slightly mo- modernized, yeah. slightly ang- angled up and, and, and stylized. So he, he did a fantastic job. You know, and, and the stories, uh, dialogue and the stories, Mitch Watson, he's like super hilarious uh, in real life, and he is on the page as well. Yeah, there was a lot of good writers on that show, like Jim Krieg and Michael Ryan, who had worked on The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest. Oh, yeah. we had a, It was an all-star lineup of writers, for sure, <laughs> on that show. And, you know, the great cast that uh, had been, been doing Scooby already for uh, years, and great voice director, Colette Sunderman. Oh, even beyond, like, the, the main cast, like the guest stars you got on that show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, you're a producer and director in the show, and you're it's supposed to be you're at work. And uh, but yeah, I found myself geeking out <laughs> every so often. <laughs> you know, when we had Tim Matheson come in to play, you know, he, we we reveal he's Fred's real dad, right? Right. Season two, and I'm I think everyone else in the room may have been thinking, uh, or the younger people in the crew may have been thinking, oh, the guy from Animal House. But I was just thinking, that's Johnny Quest. Johnny yeah. Quest in the room, you know, so that was, that was pretty awesome. You know, we had an episode where we had two wizards with George Takei and James Hong sort of uh, play these fantastic wizards. So, yeah, it was, the, the guest cast was great. Now, I was curious, what was the mission statement kind of going into production? I know with some other shows, like Warner Brothers will be like, well, we want this one to be funny or we want this one to be scary. Do you know if the development was kind of free and clear to do sort of what you wanted or... I don't know that at any studio you're ever a hundred percent free or clear to do what you wanted. Well, that's and, true. <laughs> uh, and I and, and I have to be honest, I wasn't there during the development of it. It was developed by you know Tony and Mitch, and right. I got brought on just as we're about to start production. So if there if there was a mission statement, I don't know what it is. I just know from the direction I got and discussions with Tony and Mitch is sort of like what I've sort of said so far, where it's gonna be. Scooby in the sense of it's these characters and these tropes, but we're going to add layer and depth to it and make it seem like it could, like it's real and not uh, make a joke out of it. So, you know, like the humor really came out of character and personality humor as opposed to sort of like, you know, gags, if that makes any sense, you know, kind of like if you were to watch Ghostbusters, it was more of a personality character thing rather than a Tex Avery gag or something like that. So your entry into the show was kind of after all the heavy lifting was sort of done and they were hiring directors? Yeah, they had developed they had developed the show and they're getting ready to go into production and it was time to crew up. And uh, so they, Tony, had a vision for the show. And like I said, I really could kind of see it when I saw the crew that was coming together. Like to me, it was like a very eclectic crew. That if you didn't know what was in mind to come, you might say, how did these disparate sort of experiences and styles are going to come together in the show. And, and as you said, it came out very sophisticated and very, very beautiful. Like I said, you had directors who uh, their background were sort of like these action adventure superhero shows. And then you have a guy who art directed at Cartoon Network on Samurai Jack and uh, Foster's imaginary, you know, that, that show. And it's just like it all got put together. Oh, Foster's was such a great show. <laughs> so all these, so all these so like Samurai very Jack. different elements got put together into to this show, which made it like super, super unique. 
Mystery Incorporated had, it's well known for kind of having an 80s horror vibe to it, both sort of in the look and in how the monsters and stuff were sort of portrayed and played out. I thought that was a really inspired way to go, and I was kind of wondering what sorts of influences were drawn on for that, that look or that tone. Were there specific movies that you were kind of well? Let me let me. There were there were, to go towards there were or... definitely movies, but let me, you know, as far as like the fashion and things like that, because the show came out in the late I think '69 and early '70s, that we sort of like looked at catalogs, uh, and Derek really looked at catalogs, and, and Dan as well uh, of what what people wore back then and the hairstyles, and so that sort of informed what our incidental characters and background characters and guest stars would look like. So they had that kind of 1970s look to it even though our show did not play, take place in the 1970s so that informed like station wagons cars vehicles even though it was quote-unquote today and contemporary it was that aesthetic of the of the 70s it's kind of funny because looking back now it almost feels like you guys beat stranger things to the punch for doing like the retro <laughs> horror <laughs> yeah i think so they're they, they're totally copying us i uh, think they, they should uh, <laughs> give us something for that <laughs> but uh but no i i agree you know um contemporary show to me it was contemporary uh to the core but a lot of those you know stranger things literally took place though in the past and our show True. we don't really say what decade it takes place in but we think of it as taking place now but we just you know took design cues and aesthetics from the 70s but you know we would still have laptops and flat screen tvs and things like that but we would just have a look of of that era that is kind of the beauty of of the franchise is that these characters are so and i don't use the word iconic easily because i i think it's an overused word but i mean these are kind of iconic characters and, and archetypes and you can kind of put them you can play with the trappings of it in such a way where you can do that sort of timeless setting and tweak the designs a little bit or yeah definitely yeah. definitely it was super fun super fun now I couldn't help notice. Uh, I couldn't help but notice that you and Kurt are pretty much the only two directors for the run of the show. There's a couple of exceptions. Uh, I know Lauren Montgomery uh, came on to do an episode, and I know I'm missing uh, one Michael more. Michael Gogan also did uh, right few episodes. Uh, but yeah, was that budgetary or was that to to keep like a continuity or consistency to the show? I think it was to keep it consistent. And also just the way it was scheduled. You know, some shows, the way it's uh, scheduled, I mean, you can have the same budget. It just depends on how, how long you have to do it. So if you have less time to do it, you may do a show like that with three crews. And then you'd have like three different three storyboard units going at the same time with three different directors. This one we just took longer to do, but with two crews. And that's why it was. It's basically was two directors. You know, and, and it did keep it consistent and it did make it less crazy when we were doing making animatics and editing and spotting because they were we were all just on top of each other. So it uh, you know, gave you some breathing room to really to do some thinking when you got into those phases of it. Was the process of directing on Mystery Incorporated pretty much the same as, as any other uh, show or were there any sort of unique elements to it? Well, what's, you know, directing, you know, on the one hand, it's. Directing is directing, and what is different depending on the show is just what I said, depending on the show, like the style and aesthetic of the show. Like had they at the beginning decided, no, we're going to sort of parody or stylistically do what they did back in the 70s, you would have shifted your whole point of view of how you're going to direct the show. It would have been flatter. 
wouldn't have been as dimensional and you would have had a lot more sight gags and people running in the air before they take off and those kind of things, you know, but we didn't go that route. So, you know, whether I'm directing a preschool show or a superhero show or Scooby or, you know, whatever it is, you get into whatever the style of that show is and then you then you direct depending on that episode. I don't know if that was a really great answer, so I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. sorry if that sounded so vague uh, because it's like, yes, you know, directing is directing and it is in a way the same, you know, you, you approach whatever you're going to do the same in the sense of you read the script, you research it, you get into the style of the show and you, then you sort of insert, insert some of your point of view into it to sort of like uh, direct the storyboard artist and the artist to get them to sort of uh, visualize what you want. But the style of how it's going to be on screen, it, it depends on the style that you, you, everyone is setting for the show up front, you know, uh, you know, the way they did this show, it was a real natural, I think, for Kurt and I, because it, like I said, the staging was pretty much how we would stage it if we were working on Spectacular Spider-Man or Justice League, except for what's different is that's the staging, but the characters and the acting is not like how you would do those shows. The characters and the acting is going to be more broad because it's these kind of characters, right? So you wouldn't have, if, or if, if I'm working on Spider-Man, working on Peter Parker, he is not going to emote and have the same body language, broad body language and expressions like, say, Shaggy would, or even like Fred would, who's a straighter character, but even Fred has broader expressions because that's that character. So it was a mix. You know, the staging was a little more action-like, but the acting was a little more broader. Since it was just, well... Again, not just you and Kurt, but since it was mostly you and Kurt kind of working on the show, did you guys kind of work closely together, or did you pretty much have your assignment or your assigned episodes and you just sort of well, did your own things? Well, you know, the guy is such a pro. He pretty much directed his show. Um, Tony wanted me on the first season to be the supervising director, so yes, I did work with Kurt. I went over looked over his shows mostly just to make sure it was we were being consistent with each other that it would feel like the same show but uh he pretty pretty much directed his shows that was kurt you know i i had a hand in some of it mostly it was in the post-production you know since uh as the supervising director i would edit the shows right spot it for sound effects and uh, and work, and lock the animatics and, and those things. How was the experience of, of putting the show together? Did you guys were you kind of behind the eight ball, or was it a nice smooth operation? Um, boy, from a production point of view, you always have that that the deadline. You know, you you, you have to you know, meet your dates. But I got to say that the whole crew, you know, Kurt and I, every so often would just be like, "Wow, man, we are like so lucky." We cannot believe how great <laughs> this show is. Like we would respond to the scripts first. Like, oh my God, these, the writing is so good. You know, a lot of times when you're a director, you feel like you're maybe kind of, kind of having to fix things as you're boarding it. But the writing was just so top notch. And then uh, we'd be admiring Dan Crawl's background paintings and just like, like, oh, this is so gorgeous. And uh, and the character designs by by Derek. And then when the animation started coming back. We were just both thinking this is like the best looking thing we had 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 worked on. Uh, <laughs> it was in the, in the tops of what we had personally worked on before. So we were thrilled. I mean, it was, you know, I've been on other shows where it was like a grind, and I just do not remember it that way. 
on this show. It just seemed like it was all fun to me. Working with the storyboard artists, it was fun. They were all getting into the show. Um, working with uh, Mitch, you know, I'd block animatics with Mitch. Uh, the executives would come in for part of that. They were fun. Uh, we would, uh, you know, Tony would come in and, and with us when we'd lock edit. And um, I don't know how he had the bandwidth, but the guy would always have great ideas at that stage of, of how to edit stuff. You know, the, the Blue Falcon episode? I was watching that just this evening. <laughs> so the Blue Falcon episode, I was like really thrilled to get it, and I'm glad I got it. It, it, it was a blast to work on, you know, because you, you, you're sort of uh, channeling a little bit of Batman and stuff when you're doing that show. But I remember when we were editing the show, and I thought I had got the editing uh, to where, like, like this is it. And, and Tony came by, and he really liked a lot of it. But there was, like, this sort of this particular scene where there was, like, this punching going on and uh, he added like these sort of like six frame holds on the, the the impacts which i hadn't thought of you know it's like the little little touches like that that really make it great and uh so you know it, it was also great that you, you're working on the show and you feel you you yourself have all this experience but you learn something from each of the crew and i kind of learned something that night in editing that I've taken with me uh, onto other shows. So it's, you know, it was just like a great experience, you know, working on that show. One of the things that I've always kind of loved about this show, I've been a Matthew Sweet fan since forever. And when I found out that he did the theme song, that was fantastic. But I kind of wondered who was responsible for directing that title sequence. Okay, so the main titles, that was myself and... Dan, where uh, they let us sort of uh, board that out. And man, it's like we had so many panels at first. We had like all these ideas. And uh, but this main title was I think the first main title I worked on that was only 30 seconds long. You know, the trend in main titles, they were shrinking, you know. Um, the first main title that I directed was the one for Spectacular Spider-Man. And it was like a one minute main title. And you got to sort of highlight all these different things. And this one was 30 seconds long. And we needed to sort of introduce each of our leads with sort of a visual motif of them but we wanted to do even more and kind of get into the show but it, as you see it it just really much pretty much ended up being like each character and its motif so we decided okay we're going to do this with like fluid camera moves that was the way to do it so uh you know fred's in the trap so you see the blueprint of traps behind him and the camera's going around him and uh, each character and um Probably the hardest one was the, the, the one that gets you into it when you see the mystery machine zoom by and then the camera mm -hmm. kind of swoops into the front and then inside to behind the characters, then into Velma's laptop to where you see Fred. That was sort of, that's kind of almost like a CG live action camera move and it looks, you know, 2D. It blends well with our 2D. Uh, and the way that was actually pulled off is overseas did do the basic skeleton of that whole scene with characters in CG. And then they printed out each frame and then drew the characters over it. So it would match. Interesting. So the mystery machine, by the way, in the series is a CG tune shader uh, element. But yeah, doing the, the main title was uh, Dan and I, you know, got uh, are credited with that. But I, I got to say, I think Kurt, Gaeta and Doug Murphy also jumped in. I think we each like did, a character motif, <laughs> you know. So it was, kind of, it was a team effort. I kind of feel like title sequences, a lot of people take them for granted because they're just, they're not part of the show. 
they're just that introductory sort of thing but i mean a lot of work goes into them and there's some really interesting title sequences out there and your guys is i mean it's short it's punchy it's very succinct it like shows you all the characters like it's it's just really well done so yeah. i just wanted to give you guys props for that oh thanks and i should like you know a little backstory is like before you know dad and i sat down to do it there's a lot of discussion with various executives at at Warner Brothers and uh, Tony, uh, you know, so we're hearing, uh, you know, it's a lot of brainstorming. So, you know, a lot, of, a lot of, a lot of teamwork went into it. Now, another thing that made the show unique was its narrative structure and its two season arc. And I was curious, especially the way the show ended. Do you know if there were thoughts about continuing beyond two seasons or was that always the plan from the beginning? Well, you know, you're going to probably have to see if you can get Mitch or Tony to answer this part accurately. But from my perspective, this thing was designed to be like the, basically when you get to that last episode, you realize this is the prequel to the original series, right? Because at the at the end of the ep- last episode, now they got to drive cross, cross country, right? And that's what that original show was. They were stopping from town to town, <laughs> solving Pretty mysteries. Much, yeah. yeah. So this is the prequel. This whole series was set up to be like the prequel of that original show. So I don't know that we were going to do our version of the original show after that. That's something, you know. Hopefully, you can never get one, one or both of those two guys as a guest one day, and they can tell you. I'll certainly try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just I remember after watching that episode and just imagining what it would be like to have you know potentially harlan ellison <laughs> as a continuing sort of oh yeah be... thing in the show like he was so great in that episode that chargar gothicon one. Oh yeah he shrieking madness that's what shrieking it was called. madness yeah he was such a character in the room at the record as well yeah it was a blast definitely and jeffrey combs's hate craft was like fabulous too oh yeah Just... yeah they were both there at the same record this picture of me and mitch posing with them I have it somewhere. It's great. Actually, that's a, that's a question I didn't think of asking until you just mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Was the record generally done with as many people around as kind of possible for the scenes, or? Yeah, they, uh, you know, they, you know, I've been on shows where they will bring in one actor at a time, and then I guess it just it, it gets edited together later. Uh, this show was done similarly to when I did the spectacular Spider-Man where you brought as much of the cast in at the same time so they could play off each other. Now, not everybody's there all at the same time, but but the majority are there at the same time. If they were playing scenes against each other, you, you tried you, to have you them in the same to. Room. You know, if, 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 if there was an incidental, incidental guest star who maybe only had two or three minutes of screen time, you try to schedule them in there while the leads are there. The leads tend to be there almost the whole session, and then the the guest stars, maybe they're only there for an hour or hour and a half. So the majority of the time, you try to get them together so they could play off each other. Uh, it wasn't always possible with the guest stars, but definitely with our leads, you know, who played Fred and Shaggy, Velma, Daphne, Scooby, they were always pretty much there at the same time. Now, the show, the show always kind of had a darker tone to it, but... As it progressed, it, it hit some pretty dark moments, like um, what happens with uh, Marcy and yeah. Angel. Yeah. Was that, do you know, if, was that considered kind of a dangerous thing to try? Or were you guys like, just it just fit the well, story? or? It, it, it fit the story that 
we wanted to tell. Or you knew um, that it was going to reset at the end, so it was kind of, you had a, a safe out there? Well, you know, we, interesting how you uh, lay out the question, you know, for us, <laughs> this is the story we wanted to tell, this was the tone we wanted to tell, you know, you're, you're watching this show, and at first you think it's a, a Scooby-Doo show that you've seen before where the masks come off, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a person in a mask. And then, then you start to slowly realize, no, some of these are not masks. They are real monsters or real evil, you know, until you get to that, those la- that last season. And it's like, wow, it's, it's not just people pretending to be monsters. It's monsters, you know, until it resets. It's what we wanted to tell. Now, if there was a danger to that from, say, higher above us, uh, I don't know. I have not heard that, you know. So I, I, it, it seemed like everybody loved the show and it was supported. So it was supported by the network. They liked it. Well, I think the fans liked it. You know, the network seemed like they were always moving us around, you know, which I, I guess you can't take that as meaning they like you or don't like you, but you kind of wish your show would stay in the same spot right. at the same time. But uh, they liked us enough to where we got 52 episodes, so that was great. And I know when we went on Netflix, we were one of their highest uh, rated shows while we were there so and uh and and the fan response has been huge i mean i've just i've read and seen on a few of the sites when the fans sort of rank all the various scooby-doo shows i mean i'm just repeating what i read it's, it's yeah. not me saying this but uh, it seems like it comes out on top so i think we did something right with this show i know mystery incorporated was kind of it's kind of my re-entry to the show i'd watched what's new kind of drifted after Shaggy and Scooby-Doo came out. And I don't even know if I knew that Mystery Incorporated had come out. I think I caught it like a few episodes after it came out. And I was like, oh, there's a new Scooby-Doo. And I watched it and that. It just drew me in. It was it was so different and, and so interesting to look at. And like I said, it was so much more sophisticated. I didn't think anybody would try and do Scooby-Doo with any kind of degree of, I guess respect is the word. Uh, You know, (laughs) it's played so much for gags and parody. And you look at the live action movie and everyone's leaning into the, you know, all the silliness and the over the top stuff that it's kind of just gotten into the, the perception of what Scooby-Doo and those characters are. And, And you guys, it felt like you sort of distilled something from that original, you know, 69 series. And we're like, no, 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 these these are real people and they're interesting people and it's a group dynamic and it's, they all have a purpose. No one's unnecessary. And I think there's, that's, there's, there's le- go ahead. I think, you're, I think you're describing it exactly right. You know, it was sort of like, you know, I think the, the, the characters are sort of, uh, archetypes, right. Of, uh, of, of, of like the pretty one or the smart one or the goofy, well, you know, like that, you know, and they still, are those but it was like but they're more than that you kind of go underneath the levels and and see layers of the personality and uh and so you realize okay you're, you're not just that you know you're a little bit beyond, uh, more than that i'm glad it resonated you know and, and the other thing is like by adding these layers you know what, what we wanted to do is like we still wanted to make a scooby-doo show that kids would love so we you know we we just wanted this to work on two levels you know so it's still if you're a six-year-old kid and never saw Scooby or even if you had saw Scooby, this would still recognizably be Scooby-Doo, right? Just like I said earlier, the when when Tony discussed with me like the three Fs, make sure we got the three Fs, fear, food, and flashlights. Yeah. So we have that, that and, and the humor 
with the personalities of, of the characters. But that other aspect, you know, as you described as sophisticated, whether it's the art direction style or the writing and the layers of the personality, that brings in you know, someone like you to come in and appreciate it. So it's like we kind of try to make this an all-audience sort of fun, a show for everybody. And if you can successfully create that, uh, I mean, not to disparage in-and-out, one-and-done kind of shows and plot lines. I mean, the, the new show, Be Cool Scooby-Doo, I think is also fantastic, and that's kind of its shtick. But that continuing narrative that you guys had where you're not just invested you know in the the characters and the franchise but you're also invested in this story which is slowly unraveling and and the mystery each episode has a mystery but then there's like this bigger mystery and like i think that's what really kind of sucked people in just that combination that that soup that was just really great to i i agree and yeah. i tell you that that's that sucked me into want to work on the show too you know uh that this is beyond what i originally first thought when i heard through the grave of hey they're doing a Scooby-Doo show. They're they're crewing up for a Scooby-Doo show. I had that preconception in my head of like, oh, and it was so gratifying to hear that it's gonna was gonna be this, you know. So it's like, as an audience, I'm glad people received it and liked it. But I'm saying from the other side of it, wow, it felt like really this meaty yeah. thing you really wanted to get your hands onto. It was like fun to work. On. It was cool, like, catching on to it, too, and following it as it was running, because you could, you know, tell your friends that one of the best shows on TV is Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And with that, I bring to a close part one of my interview with supervising director and producer of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, Victor Cook. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I certainly enjoyed talking to Victor. If you want to keep up to date on Victor's goings-on, you can find him on Twitter at Victor underscore Cook1. And he's usually posting about the new show, Stretch Armstrong and the Flex Fighters, which we don't talk about in part one, but we will talk about in part two. That's Victor's new show. He's very excited about it. He's very proud of the work that they're doing on that show. It is exclusively on Netflix, so check that out if you like anything that Victor's done in Scooby-Doo Land, or if you just like superhero and uh, action-oriented animated series. There's a lot there that's familiar. There's a lot there that's not. So it's a nice mix. And if you want, we can consider it a homework assignment between now and when I drop part two of the interview, which I'm hoping to do, as I said in the intro, in about a week, maybe two. Depends on time, but I definitely want to get it out before my usual release time, which is the tail end of the month where I'm hoping to have another interview with another great Scooby-Doo personality. As much as I appreciate the gaps in between episodes, I am kind of feeling like it's maybe too long. So I'm going to experiment a little bit. Oh, and the uh, commentary that uh, John Colton Berry, Nick Robes from What's With You, Scooby-Doo, and myself, uh, that was part of the holiday special. I'm going to be doing a special release that's isolating that audio commentary so that people don't have to sift through all two hours of the holiday special and they can just sit down and play that over the episode scary christmas so expect that expect part two of the interview and expect another interview with another scooby-doo personality coming at the end of the month if everything goes according to plan i know i'm probably testing fate by speaking so confidently about this Everybody out there, Knockwood, cross your fingers. 
If you want to get in contact with me or just want to comment on the show, feel free to hit me up on my Facebook page. I'm on Twitter at ScoobyDooCast. Spend a lot of time on Twitter. There's also a blog, which I've been neglecting, but I plan to get back to shortly. I review comic books there. There's some articles, but it's more comic book reviews than anything else. And if you get the show off of iTunes, please, while you're there, support the show, rate and review the podcast. When you do that, it gets the podcast into the eyes and ears of people who may not be subscribing to the show. So growing the audience, it's a great thing. Getting the attention, it's wonderful. There's also the YouTube channel. You can get the podcast on YouTube. On all the social media, like, follow, subscribe. If you really enjoy the show, feel free to share among family and friends. Word of mouth is the best way to spread the joy that is a podcast named Scooby-Doo. And 2018, I'm really hoping to sort of grow the show a little bit. Take it maybe to another level. And um, yeah, so... Look forward to having all you guys along for the ride. As always, thank you so much for listening. You guys are the best. I'll have any updates on part two uh, on Twitter. Until then, we'll see you next time. Take care and remember, Jinkies is not actually a word. Everybody cheer! This is how we solve the mystery. This is how we solve the To the art of mystery solving dictation And here's what the bad guys say when they play where the law forbids Would have gotten away with it too If it wasn't for you meddling kids This is how we solve the mystery Bye